Lord, we love you and we thank you for tonight and allowing us to come together in your name to look to your word, Father. We're studying common grace this morning, excuse me, this evening. And uh, Father, we ask, Lord, we know that there is nothing common about grace, uh, but we know that grace, your grace is common to all mankind. And Father, for that, we are grateful and thankful. So we ask that you would guide our studies, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. Uh, we ask, Father, that you would Teach us the subject at hand, uh, Lord, that we'd have a better understanding of you when we leave tonight than when we came in. So we commit our t- time to you and just ask for you to lead us and bless us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if you begin by taking your notes, if you don't have them, there's five sections of my outline that we're going to look up. On the back side is my best attempt of, uh, of computer graphics. On the back there, uh, we're going to kind of start with that. Uh, after we look at the, uh, the attributes of God, think of a good place to start uh, when you talk about any subject is to start with God. Uh, common, common grace basically means uh, that we are all benefactors of God's goodness, whether we're saved or not. Everybody is a benefactor of God's goodness whether we're saved or not. And I'm going to seek to try to prove that tonight. Uh, to begin with, common grace as the attributes, uh, uh, by looking at the attributes of God, I think is, is interesting because when, when I first came to Ferguson Avenue, that was the first study that we started with, the attributes of God. And uh, I, I learned some things, I guess, or were reminded of some things that I had forgotten or that I was not aware of. Um, people say that God is not a Santa Claus in the sky just, just throwing down good gifts to us uh, day after day. In one sense, that is not true. In another sense, it is true. God is good, and all good gifts come down from God, James chapter 1 and verse 17. And, uh, and so, we need, so we need to understand that God is good, but we don't want to trivialize it. Uh, we want to be reverent towards God. Uh, when, I, when I think of, of fear, uh, some people say reverential fear. Well, I think there is reverential fear, and I think even fear of God is legitimate. I mean, we should be scared of God. I th- my uh, family used to go to Fourth uh, of July up in uh, North Carolina, and I don't remember the place that we're at, but you know there's a lot of canyons and a lot of uh, different waterfalls and stuff in that part. And there was this three cabins... And then there was this long walkway, and then there was a pile of rocks somewhat making a, a, a barrier between the, the sidewalk and the cliff. There wasn't any rail, and when you looked over the side, it went straight down. And, the, and it was built kind of like that, so it looks like it was a place to sit. But when you sat down and looked over your back, it was straight, literally straight down, and it was a long way down. And I had two kids running around, two young kids running around. So I had reverential fear, right? There was, there, was, there was a sense of safety there because I wasn't going to go there and just jump over it and act like it didn't exist. But I had kids, and I certainly didn't want to fall over, so I made sure that I stayed away a certain distance and my kids stayed away a certain distance. And I think that's the reverential fear uh, that we need to have of God, that he is approachable, but we need to approach him in the uh, in the in the correct in the correct manner. So when I 
when we study the attributes of God, uh, one of the things that I notice is that, is that when you're studying one attribute, all of the others kind of become an adjective of that particular attribute. They describe, they give more information to that attribute that you are, uh, that you are studying. So let me take a, a quick look at that. Uh, one is uh, the infinitude or God, or that God is infinite, right? Infinite means that there is, that there is no end, right? What is, what is infin- infinite minus a thousand? It's still infinite. What is infinite minus 10,000? It's still infinite. What is infinite time, uh, minus 10 million? It's still, it's still infinite. And so when we think of the infinitude of God and we allow that to describe our love, what is his love like? It's an infinite love. There, there's no end to his love. There's, there's, no, there's no boundaries to his love. There's no... There's no uh, measurements, fractions, parts of his love. Talk about his goodness. His goodness is infinite. It's eternal. Uh, no, no, uh, no end to it. No bottom to it. Just measureless, uh, which means it never runs out. That's the problem with, um, that was the problem with uh, Esau and Jacob. If you remember Esau and Jacob's story, Jacob got the blessing by, by cheating a little bit. And when Esau came in from the field, he went to his dad and he says, I'm here, where's my blessing? He says, I don't have it anymore. I already gave it to Jacob. Oh, there's got to be something for me. He's like, no, Jacob's already has it. So he gave him a little prayer blessing over top of him, but he didn't get any of the, any of the resources. So what was missing? Well, you needed, an, you needed an infinite father with an infinite son with an infinite inheritance. You and I will never go to God and say, you bless so-and-so, where's my blessing? And God will never look at you and say, there's, there's none left, I already gave it. Right? God gives us goodness, and Jesus Christ is not, does not have to sacrifice any goodness. I can share the gospel with you, you can accept Jesus Christ, you can be a joint heir of Jesus Christ, you can inherit God's goodness, and guess what? I don't have to sacrifice my goodness that I receive from God. You don't have to sacrifice your goodness that you receive to God and anybody else that you win to Christ. They get the same amount of goodness that we get because it's an infinite, infinite and eternal uh, sacrifice. So he's a life giver. Listen, there is no life without God. There's no life without God. He, he gives it and he sustains it. And so the very fact that you're here breathing is an example of common grace. If you're a believer here tonight, guess what? You're a benefactor of that grace. If you're not a believer here tonight, guess what? You're a benefactor of that grace. And it's an infinite life. You can have infinite life. It could, it could go on forever and never end in, 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 uh, in the plan of salvation. Okay, so we can go through all of these, um, but I think, I think you get the point. Um, so what I want to do, refer to this uh, graphic on the backside. And, and what I want you to see, I don't know if you can see the... There's a, there's a round white circle, and then there's a little, like a white strip, and then you get to the black. I don't know if it showed up on your copy. Um, but, but what I want you to understand here is that heaven is all of God's infinite goodness. When you study God's attributes, you get to God's jealousy, you get to his anger, you get to his wrath, you get to his justice. But what all of that is, the jealousy and the wrath and the justice of God, is him 
is him, God, protecting his holiness, protecting his goodness, pro- protecting his perfection, protecting his purity. That's what his wrath does. What is, what is heaven and what is hell? Heaven is where God has saved certain individuals to be recipients of all of his goodness, of all of his grace, of all of his mercy, of all of his love. What is hell? Those who have, didn't give him thanks, didn't want it, didn't receive it, didn't accept it. And so what do they get? They don't get anything. They get God's wrath. They get God's justice. And we'll come back to this, so, uh, so hold on to it. Uh, so let's move on. Anybody have a comment or a question they'd like to add there? When we get to common grace in the Old Testament, common grace in the Old Testament. Again, common grace, there's nothing common about grace, but grace is the common goodness that every person on earth receives on a regular basis with no concern for, about their sinful nature. In other words, in, uh, in the creation count, Genesis 1 and 2, God created, and six times God said that his creation was good. One time, he said that his creation was very good. Now, one of the things that you have to learn about, uh, learn about your life and learn about Satan's tactics, <clears throat> everything that you see is amoral, meaning that it's neither good and bad. We are the ones that make it good or bad. Satan is the one that makes it good, good or bad. So God has made God, creation very, very, very good. And because of Satan and sin, we can distort that. We can pervert that. So food is really, really, really good. But don't become an anorexic and don't become a gluttony. Don't become gluttonous. Because you're not using the goodness of God's creation in the, in the correct manner. Sex is good, right? But don't have it outside of marriage. Keep it within the confines of the covenant relation that, 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 God has, that God has made. That is a good gift that God wants us to experience, God wants us to enjoy, but it has parameters, and we can pervert it, and we don't want to uh, do that, and we don't want to allow uh, Satan to do that. So it's, so it's good. Also in the creation account, God gives the world to Adam and tells him to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Now, perhaps this is the most obeyed scripture in all of the Bible because everybody is out being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the the earth, right? But it also says to rule over it and subdue it. Now, anybody here with a job is ruling over the earth and subdue it, and you're making a salary, God is enabling you to provide for your family, whether you're saved or whether you're not. All good gifts. All good and perfect gifts come down from above, come down from God. One of those gifts is the ability to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. He provides. We'll get to some other Bible verses in a minute in the the New Testament. Um, But listen, uh, through your jobs and hobbies, you are subduing the earth. Think about what God has enabled us to do. We have been, we've been able to make prescriptions. We have been able to make transportation. We have been able to make lots and lots of money. We've been able to make an internet, right? All of these things are good gifts. 
Now, we may use them wrong and pervert them, but they're good gifts from God. Okay? And, and, and that's what I want, to begin, want you to begin to see is that God has given every single person goodness. Now, you may say, well, well we'll get to that in a minute. Let's, let's hold off on that. All right, in, into the New Testament. Anybody want to make any comments or questions? Yes, Ron. <clears throat> Correct. Correct. Um, okay, let's 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 go back to creation. I, I want to mention something here. Um, how many how many different colors can you see in this room? A lot. Different shades. What is the purpose of color if God didn't make your eyes? There's no purpose, is it? I don't care what color red is if I can't see it. Common grace, right. God's goodness. God's goodness. You get to enjoy a multitude of colors. Go down to the paint store. Go down there to Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's. Go over to the paint store. See how many different shades of white there is. I didn't think there was other. I thought there was only one shade of white. All right? But there's many shades of white, many shades of brown, many shades of reds, many shades of oranges. Multitude of colors. Look at the azaleas on the way home and the flowers, the different colors of flowers that God has made. What is the purpose of the flowers and the color of flowers if God didn't make your eyes? And we, I, won't, I won't go through all of the senses, but what kind of music do you like? What do you like listening to? Do you like waves on the seashore? Do you like water off of a, fall, uh, off of a uh, waterfall? Do you like the saxophone? Do you like the violin? Do you like country, rap, whatever? Guess what? what who cares what sand, what a... What a what music sounds like if God didn't make your ears. He made your ears to enjoy things. So you're a recipient of God's goodness sitting right here, whether you're a believer or not. Everyone, everyone is our benefactor of God's goodness. Every one of you. And you might say, well, not me. I have bad health. Well, guess what? You still are a recipient of God's goodness. And we'll, we'll look at that a little bit closer later. <clears throat> All right, in the New Testament, it says, the sun rises and falls on the just and the unjust. It's in Matthew chapter 5, 44 and 45. Listen, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and send rains on the just and the unjust. How many of you here have a garden? All right, I think, I think believers raise their hand. I don't know who is or who isn't. But uh, listen, even if you're not a believer and you're evil, even if you raped someone last night, you can still get up in the morning and go out in your garden and pick a cucumber when they're ready. Right? God's common goodness, common grace. Right? Think, think about the sun rising tonight. Think about all the sin that occurred in Savannah, Georgia last night downtown somewhere. Right? Should have melted, melted like snow under the wrath of God. Because of the sin and debauchery that occurred. But in God's common grace, the sun rose on the thief, on the abuser, on the rapist, on the adulterer, on the liar, on the drunkard. Every one of them were benefactors of the sun this morning, even though they were sinning all night long. 
God upholds the universe for all. He is the radiance of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews 1-2. Right? He holds the earth together. Listen. The only reason why this world does not fall apart is because God is holding it up by the word of his power. He's keeping it all together. I think the smallest thing that they have seen under a, a, a microscope is an atom. The interesting thing that, that they found about a atom is there's no membrane around it, so they don't understand why it's not coming apart. And you know what an atom does when it comes apart? It creates the atom bomb. And there's no membrane holding it together, and they can't figure it out. Well, I got the answer for him. It's held together by God, the word of his, of his power. He created this. Right? The Bible says that in the end, when, when, when God uh, destroys this world and recreates it back to its original form so that we can live with him on earth for all eternity, he says it's going gonna, it's gonna to come apart and melt like snow. It's going to be like dew on the grass. Why? Because he's just going to say, instead of saying, let there be grass, he's going to say, let there be no grass. And just as quickly as it came in, as quickly as, as, quickly as it'll go out, he's holding it together. The only reason why you're able to get up this morning and walk across this earth is because God is holding it together for you, whether you're saved or whether you're a sinner. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was, n- was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of, uh, of men. Again, everything was made by God. And he put it here for you and I to enjoy. Listen, parents nurture their t- children and teach them to be responsible adults. Matthew 7, 9, and 11. Or which one of you, if you, his sons, ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good, get good things to those who ask him? Right? The most, the most wretched criminal loves his children. Why is that? Because of God's common grace. Because of God's common grace. God's restrains sin so that the world does not become as wicked as possible. Right, he's restrained sin. How does he restrain sin? Well, the law of restrained sin. The Ten Commandments, the very fact that there's a, there's a commandment that says, do not commit adultery, is a restraint on your conscience to keep you from committing adultery. Now, do people throw off that restraint? Absolutely, that's the problem. But God gives us laws to, to restrain, right? How many people here uh, get out on uh, 95 and drive 78? All right, because you know that the policeman is going to give you about 10 miles over the speed limit. And so you restrain yourself to 78 so you don't get pulled over and give a ticket. Well, guess what? As an example, the law restrains you, right? The Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, verse 8, uh, convicts sins, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts you. Uh, the government restrains you. The laws that they make restrain you. Uh, the fact that... Uh, that they have laws and they have courts and they can put you in prison and put you in jail, that restrains you from doing evil. That restrains you from doing wrong. Of the church, a, 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 
A biblical church is, is there for your restraint. We're there to hold you accountable. We're there to challenge you not to go the way of sin, but go the way of Christ, and that restrains you. Your conscience restrains you. The Bible says that God has written the word of God in your heart. And one of the things that we're not supposed to do is to go against our conscience. Because our conscience is, is, our, uh, is our guide. And when we become saved and we have the word of God and the Holy Spirit, our conscience becomes a better guide for us. But our conscience is our guide. <clears throat> now what happens when you throw off the restraint of the government? Anarchy. Anarchy, right? Why? Because there's no, no restraints. What happened in New Orleans as soon as the flood came? There was looting. You saw people with grocery carts going into stores, carrying out TVs and whatever. Why do they do that now? Because there's no restraint. Right? That's why God gave us government. That's a common grace. Because listen, <clears throat> if you defund the police and you destroy our government and you take away every single restraint and you attack the church and you stop the people from preaching the Bible or whatever and you tell the parents that they can't correct their children or whatever, guess what? You're throwing away all of those restraints. And what's going to happen? The world's going to become as wicked as it possibly can be. There's going to be no restraints. Right? So we, we, so we want government because that's a common grace. We want the police department. That's a common grace because if we didn't have it, guess what? Looting is going to occur. Mobs are going to take over. Listen, every single person is made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Every one of us has that image. Listen, every one of us holds value. Right? There's, there's, there's things that are of less value. Right? You can, you can step on grass. You can bite cucumbers. You can eat chickens. You can eat cows. Right? But, but you don't go down to the Kroger and get human fingers. Why? Because we are a higher life form. We are made in the image of God. It's okay to, to kill a chicken and pull its feathers off to eat some, some fried chicken, but you can't do that to human beings because we're a higher life form. That's common grace for all of us. What is, God's, what is God's standard for thou shalt not kill? Because when you kill another human being, you're killing somebody that's made in the image of God. No matter, no matter what. what. What gives us value is the image of God. And all of us have value. Why is abortion wrong? Because you're killing something that is being made in God's image. It has value. That's where our value comes from, from God. God's providential blessing to mankind in the universe offers the gospel and the Lamb of God who died for the sins of, of, the, of the world. All right, so we're going to go back to our chart. Does anybody have anything to add or any questions they'd like to ask? Yes. Uh, you were saying that uh, the Lord told us to love our enemies. And uh, he said while we were yet his enemies, he loved us and died for us. So he's done what he told us to do also. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, he, he values us because of his image in us. And he loves us even though we are his enemies because he values us because his image, because we're in his image and in his likeness. <clears throat> All right, life, common grace, and heaven and hell. The call to heaven is a call to goodness and love. 
1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16, it says that God is love. In Mark chapter, tip, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 18, uh, it's uh, a person comes to Jesus and says, Hey, good teacher. And he responds by saying, Why do you call me good? Because only God is good. Only God is good. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 10, that God is the God of grace. Okay, so when you, when you, when you think of this, when you, think, when you think of God's goodness and God is calling us to himself, he's calling us to his love, he's calling us to his goodness, he's calling us to his grace. <clears throat> and, he, and, he, and he does that through Christ, through his son. And so in, in heaven, again, what I want you to see is that heaven is where all of God's goodness is. When we, when we get to the other attributes of God, the rejection of his call is to no longer experience the goodness of God or the love of God. Romans 1.18 says, if we suppress the truth, that the wrath of God is against those who suppress the truth. In Matthew chapter 5, 27 through... 30, let me turn there and read it. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members then that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes in, into hell. <clears throat> For the sake of our discussion tonight, um, in, in trying to see that, that the call of God to his, to his goodness, understanding that all of God's common grace is a call for us to accept all of his goodness and to reject his goodness is to be the recipient of his wrath or none of his goodness. So that when we look at a verse like this, it, it, it's trying, I think, in a way uh, to tell us the severity of God and the severity of hell by saying, listen, if you can't control your hand, you better cut it off. Because it will be more pleasurable or less painful for you to sever your arm than it is to spend eternity in hell. It's, it's bad, right? Now, some people will ask, well, uh, do you read the Bible verses about hell? Do you take that literally? You know, when it talks about it's an eternal flame, it's, it's a, 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 a fiery furnace. Well, if you, went, if you went to your wife and said, you're as pretty as a rose, your wife would never take that as you're being derogatory towards her. She would receive that to mean that you are as pretty, but not just as pretty, but you're much prettier than that, is how she would take it, and I'm sure that's how we would mean it as, as husbands. Right? So when you look at 
these descriptions of, of hell, it is at least as bad as a fiery furnace, but it's worse than that. All right? So we never, we never look at it as being less. We've always looked at it as being, as being more. Okay, the Bible says that, that the vengeance of mine I will repay. <clears throat> One of the reasons why we are to, uh, to love our neighbors is because we're not supposed to take vengeance upon ourselves. We're to leave it to God because his vengeance is way worse than anybody else's vengeance. And his vengeance is holy and righteous as well. Uh, we also see that God is just in Luke eleven forty two and Psalm 89 and 14. Okay, so, so what I'm trying to so what I'm what I'm trying to do in painting a, a picture to you, and maybe I should uh, maybe I should use this this verse ahead of time. Um, yeah, I'll I'll come back to it at the end, but I want to I want to look at that right now. Go to Romans chapter two, and we're going to look at verses one through five. It says, there you have, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to your repentance? Right? Common grace. Why is God even good at you for a millisecond? Because he desires your repentance. Why, why is there goodness in this world and why are there is there bad things in this world? Because I believe that each one of these things is a foretaste of things to come. You think of all of the pleasures, all of the things that you enjoy, all of the experiences that you have in a loving, kind, and wonderful relationship with your spouse, with your children, or with God. And all of that will, will increase Infinitely, immeasurably. Over in Ephesians, it, it says um, he lavishes his gifts upon you. It's going to be—it's going to be a lavishing. It's going to be—it's going to be immeasurably outpoured on our behalf in heaven. All of the goodness that you see is foretaste of things to come. And I believe our sinful nature—the reason why we don't experience more happiness, more goodness, more pleasures, is that our sinful nature can't accept it, can't receive it. It would overwhelm us if God would pour out all of his goodness without measure into our sinful bodies. We couldn't control it. Think about a back rub, right? It feels good for a while, but after a while, it's like, okay, that's enough. It's starting to irritate me now. And that's with any pleasure that you enjoy, that you like. It gets old after a while because our bodies can't receive it. And our new bodies, I believe we're going to be able to receive all of the goodness of God and all the pleasures of God and all of the presence of God. And our bodies are going to be able to receive it and accept it. Now, if you, if you flip that around and you 
Think of everything that you experience that is bad as a foretaste of things to come because in hell there is no goodness of God, there is no mercy, there is no grace, there is no love, there is no open arms, there is no mercy. It's just pain and suffering and anguish. Right? So if you, if you, think, about, if you think about your worst migraine headache, and in God's common grace and goodness, he's given you extra strength Tylenol. In heaven, there's no extra strength, or in hell, there's no extra strength Tylenol. There's no relief. It doesn't stop throughout all eternity. You think about your worst case of, of, of sickness, whether, whether it's nauseating or whether, you're got, whether you've got the flu or COVID or toothache or tooth pain or or whatever it is. Thank God there's things here on earth and His common grace that brings us relief. But in hell, there is no relief. There is none. And it lasts throughout all eternity. It's never ending. Because we've rejected God. And so, and so that's, that's this. You have, you have a choice tonight. You have the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, immeasurably and infinite and eternal. Or you can say, well, God's not good to me. Breathing's not much. Life isn't that much. The satisfaction in dinner, who cares? That's every day. Well, who do you think gave you that satisfaction? Okay, I didn't eat much, but I kind of liked the avocado chicken at Wendy's salad. I thought it was pretty good. God gave me the tongue to enjoy it, and I enjoyed it. And that is a foretaste of things to come in heaven. And I can either look at his goodness in our life and repent. That's what it's for. That's what he wants. He wants you to repent. He wants you to thank him. He wants you to acknowledge him as good and receive him. Rather than reject him. So here, here is a uh, question for us. The God of heaven and the God of hell. Is, is God in hell? Let's go to Romans chapter 139. Excuse me, not Romans. Uh, Psalm 139. You had a hard time finding Romans 139. <laughs> All right, Romans, excuse me, Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7. Listen, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Okay, now is God there? Okay, well, let me explain it to you. I said yes, and I said no. Yes, God is there. But it's where there are none of God's good attributes that are seen, experienced, felt, able to beg for, able to receive, able to experience nothing except God's wrath and God's anger in God's vengeance, in God's justice. That's all it is. Nothing. None of God's good attributes because you rejected it. 
What is what is uh, uh, Romans chapter two verses one through five said? That his goodness is so that you will see his goodness, acknowledge it, and repent. That's what his common grace is for. It's not here for haphazardly. Let me just throw some rose petals down from heaven so that everybody can grab them. No, there's a purpose behind it. He wants you to see his goodness and desire it and want it and repent. I hear some, I've had a person tell me or have heard somebody say that I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends will be. You know what hell's going to be? Hell's going to be a place of torment. You're going to be tormented physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, in every way. One, one of the ways that you're going to be tormented is to, real, to realize, because listen, every tongue, every tongue will fa- confess, and every, excuse me, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, even in hell. There won't be any unbelievers in hell. They will all believe. And one of the torments will be is that they never acknowledged the goodness of God and accepted it. And that will torment their soul throughout all eternity. Believers in heaven who shared the gospel with you and you reject it will torment your soul throughout all eternity. The, 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 the good meals that you, that you feast on now will torment you because you didn't recognize God's love and the reason why that you're in hell at that particular point is because you didn't give God knowledge for the meal that you just ate and all of his goodness and allow that to remove you to repentance. And that good taste and meal will torment you for all, your, for all of life, for all of eternity. God's attributes are about his holiness and goodness. His wrath and his anger, listen, his wrath and his anger, his jealousy, is to protect his holiness. It's to protect it. Why does he get angry at sin? Because he's not going to let angry, he's not going to let sin into heaven. Why is he jealous? Because you're turning to another God, because that's not the real God, it's not a God, and it's a spit in the in the face of God. Because he has been so incredibly good to you since the day you were born. And you might say, well, well, what about somebody that loses a child? Well, you're not in hell. You're not in hell. That's good. What about somebody born blind? Well, you don't get to experience everything that everybody else is seeing, but God still left your ears. He still left your taste. He still left your pleasures. You still have an incredible amount of God's goodness. Right? So what I want you to see in that particular comment is God is sovereign. Right? And he, just like he deviates, uh, divvy out his salvific grace, he also gives out his common graces in measure. He doesn't give everybody the same thing. Some people have more gifts than others, more pleasures than others, more goodness from God than others. But you have to understand the importance is, is not how much goodness you've received, is whether you take the goodness that you have and you allow it to acknowledge that the fact that God is good and that moves you to repentance. It's not about how much good you have, it's whether it is the common grace of God 
taking effect of your life to where you see how good God is and he allows you to continue to live. He suffers long. He patiently waits for you to recognize his goodness, repent of your sins, and accept the Son, Jesus Christ. Because listen, everybody is benefactor of God's common grace, but only those who believe will be benefactor of God's eternal grace, his salvific grace. If you accept Jesus Christ, God's goodness never stops flowing. God's love never stops flowing. God's mercy never stops flowing. If you reject God's gifts, uh, God's goodness, at one time in the near future, it's appointed every man to die and then face the judgment of God. Goodness of God comes to an end. Then you only get God's justice. Right? Now, now God is fair in hell, right? Because there's, because there's measures of punishment. And you tell the Pharisees, you know, if, if the gospel was preached in those other cities, Chorazin, they would repent it. Your judgment is going to be more severe than theirs, right? So it's more severe. God's going to be just. In heaven, he's not going to be just, right? There's, there's nobody in heaven that's going to deserve all of God's goodness. So God's justice, justice is only going to be meted out in hell. It's not going to be meted out in heaven because everybody will be the full benefactors of, of God's grace and mercy and love, full benefactors, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You, you will get every single loving emotion that God gives to his son, Jesus Christ, will be placed on you and will be placed on me in heaven. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no love in your future, no grace in your future, no mercy in your future. Do we have any uh, questions or comments before I bring it down the home stretch? <coughs> Yes, uh, I think you will get his love and kindness and grace and mercy in a greater measure. Um, but I do believe that there is a be- very special day in the, uh, in the future. If you go over to Hebrews. If you understand Hebrews chapter 10 and on into chapter 11, uh, it's the uh, chapter of faith. And it basically just goes through history of the men of great faith and what they went through and how they kept their, great, great, uh, their faith through uh, each instance and each occurrence. And then you come to the last uh, couple verses in, in, in chapter 11. 
and it says, and all of these, talking about all of the, the saints, kept their faith, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And I think that is referring to the day of redemption. That every saint in the past, though they are absent from the body and present from the Lord, they haven't received their perfection yet because on the day of redemption, all of us together, all of the faithful throughout history on the day of redemption uh, will be made perfect uh, together, I believe. And so they're waiting for us. And they're waiting, and they're waiting for you. <clears throat> you see, God in his goodness created us. He made us in his image and likeness. And he said that as long as we obey him, we would be blessed. But instead of listening to God, Adam, the first man all the way through today, instead of, instead of following God, we like to follow ourselves. You know, the Bible says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as you do yourself. <clears throat> now there's two commands and there's one implication in that. He had to command you to love God. He had to command you others. But he didn't have to command you to love yourself. Because our biggest problem in all of the universe is not everybody else out there. It's us right here. Because we love ourselves. Out of balance with loving God and loving others. So much so that God said... That if you would treat others the way that you would retreat, that you would want to be treated, you would fulfill the law and the prophets. Why? Because everybody in here knows how to take care of themselves. When you're thirsty, what do you do? You go get a drink. When you're hungry, what do you do? You go grab something to eat. When you're cold, what do you do? You go get something warm or turn the heat up. Right? So if somebody else comes to you and says they're hungry. What should you do if you're going to love them as you do yourself? You're going to get them something to eat. You're going to get them something to drink. You're going to get them a coat. You're going to offer them to come in and sit by the fire or something. Right? We know what we're supposed to do, but most of us are not willing to do it because we love ourselves too much. Our, our, our motive for goodness apart from God is because of the strengths that God has placed on us. In other words, you might say, yeah, there's goodness in this world, but only God is good. And you can't be good without God because the only way that you're going to be good enough for God is to have Christ. The only way that you're going to be able to walk with God and do what is right is that the motivation in your heart has got to be the love of God and the love of others, not the love of self. And without Christ and without God, our initial response is what I want. Right? You don't have to teach your children to share. Or excuse me, you have to teach your children to share. You have to teach them to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You don't have to tell them to, to smart off or to say no or to grab a toy from somebody else. They do that perfectly natural. Why? Because they're born with me in mind. And why do we reject God? We don't, want, we don't want somebody else to run our lives. We want to run our own lives. We want to be the master of our own soul. We want to control our own destiny. And the only reason why I'm good is because I know if I rob that bank, 
I'm going to go to jail, and I don't want to go to jail, so I'm not going to ride that back. And then I'm going to be all puffed up and proud because I didn't rob a bank, and somebody else did. And the only reason why you did it is because you were afraid that you might go to hell. You didn't do it for the love of God or the love of your neighbor. You did it for the love of yourself. And that's our problem. Deep down, that is our problem. Me, me, me. I, I, I. Not God, not others. Me and my and mine. And Jesus Christ says, unless you die and take up your cross and follow him, you will not enter into eternal, into eternal life. If you're not willing to give up your, yourself for others and you're not willing to give up yourself for God and your agenda, you're not living for God, you're living for self. There's no greater love than this, than one man die for another. I might die for my wife, I might die for a child, but I, I might not, my children, but I might not be as quick to die for you. But Jesus Christ died for you when you were an enemy of him, of his. He died for you to show his great goodness, his great love for you. And he says that all you have to do is to accept him and his love and his goodness, and he will give you all of his love in all of his grace, in all of his mercy, in all of his goodness, and it will be infinite and it will be eternal. It will be a fountain that will never end. It will go on forever. And the alternative is, is to say, oh, I just want the goodness that God offers me in this world. I don't care about the afterlife. I'll just take full advantage of everything that he offers here. I'll work my buns off to get as rich as I possibly can. I'm going to buy all the cars and the houses and the vacations and the boats and the whatever. And I'm just going to live for this world. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. Wins what? The most toys, I guess. I'm going to live for the flesh. I'm going to live for pleasure. Whatever, whatever feels right is what I'm going to do. Sex, drugs, alcohol, gambling, whatever. I mean, whatever, whatever just satisfies the flesh for a moment. That's, that's what I'm going to do. God told the rich man, he says, what do I have to do to earn eternal life? He said, well, just commit adultery and don't lie, don't steal. Ah, I did that since birth. Okay, well then, uh, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Whoa. Well, give up all my riches? Give up all my toys? Just donate to a bunch of poor people? Why would, I, why would I do that? I have, I have so many riches. Why would I want to do that? Well, because that's what you love. You don't love me. You love all that stuff. See, God knows exactly why you won't follow him. Because you're taking full advantage of his common grace, and you won't acknowledge that it comes from him. You won't repent and give your life to him. And so you just reject him, Take all of his gifts and his toys and play with them until your life comes to an end. And then you spend eternity without any of his good gifts. See, I don't get mad at the government and I don't get mad at people for what they do to the country and what they do to the world because it's just on loan. They're just barring it for a while. God's just trying to see what they're going to do with it. I know what it is in the end. God takes it from all of them. He 
tears it all up and he puts it all back together nice and nice and clean and pretty and beautiful. And guess what? Puts me back on it to live throughout eternity with his love and perfect grace and goodness. So it's just for a short time that you get to enjoy his goodness. We who believe, we get to enjoy our good God from now into eternity. Never ending. Never stops. This is just a, a small taste of what is, what is to come. And so I, cha- I challenge you today. God is not being good to you because you're some fantastic person. Right? God is not being good to you because he looked down from heaven and he says, Oh, look at him. I'm going to bless him because he's just so special. There's only one reason why God has, has blessed you with what you have. Right? And anything that you have is a blessing from God. The fact that you didn't find yourself in hell today is an utter utter blessing of the common grace of God in your life. And all God wants you to do is acknowledge the fact that he is good to you when you're not very good to him. And accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe that you deserve the wrath of God because you're a sinner, that you deserve to be punished, that you deserve to be on that cross rather than Jesus Christ being on that cross because of your sin. And you just accept the fact that Jesus Christ died for you in your place, took all the punishment that was meant for your body and my body onto his body so that you can be saved. One of my favorite word, one of my favorite things. I don't, don't even know where I got it. I don't even know if I made it up. I won't even take credit for it, but I love this. God treated his son like a sinner so that he can treat a sinner just like his son. There is no better exchange that you will ever make in your entire life than to exchange your life for his. No better exchange. I challenge you to make that exchange tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your good, good, good grace. Father, we are all today worthy of standing upon our feet and giving you all of our worship and praise, giving you thanks for life, thanks for all of your goodness, thanks for all of the pleasures and all of the things that we enjoy on a regular basis. Lord, we are so blind, Father, because we do not look at your goodness and kindness. We look at the world and we envy that others have more than us. We don't get the breaks that anybody else has. And so we drink ourselves into a stupor so that we can ignore that God is good to us, better than we can ever think or imagine. The alternative is, is utterly frightful. We get so depressed, we get so caught up in ourselves that we cannot see your goodness. We contemplate things like like drugs and alcohol and suicide. Not realizing that suicide, apart from Christ, 
does not relieve the torment of our souls. It does not relieve it. It, 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 it expands exponentially. Father, because we are so blind to your goodness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see the world and the good things that you have provided for us. Lord, you didn't have to allow our eyes to see. You didn't have to allow our tongue to taste. You didn't have to allow our ears to hear. Father, you didn't have to allow our minds to think. But you did. And Father, we are grateful for that. Lord, I know there's a lot of problems in the world. I know there's a lot of things that, that causes us to dwell on problems rather than your goodness. And I know at times, Lord, we are blinded by those problems and those things that, that we don't recognize how good you are. And I know that your goodness is for the purpose of a lost soul to recognize it and repent. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that I know there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you yet, hasn't recognized your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes, help them to see how good they've got it. Help them to see your goodness. And move their hearts to repentance. And enable them to be able to receive the grace of God. That will allow them to be benefactors of that small measure of common grace. That has now turned into an infinite measure of grace and goodness. Father, do what you intended to do with your common grace in our hearts tonight. Move us closer to Christ. Give us, Lord, a thankful heart. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.